Open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at the passage that uh, Jordan just read for us and uh, get that sermon outline out of the, uh, the announcement sheet. And you can use it as we, we go through this message this morning, kind of at the end of the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the armor of God list that, that Paul gives us. While you're doing that, just a reminder to all deacons, elders, ministry leaders, staff, uh, we have at 8 o'clock next Saturday morning, November 17th, a meeting over in the fellowship hall. And if you need some more information on that, it is in the announcement sheet. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer as, as we get ready to, to look once again at this really important, essential part of, uh, of God's teaching that, that helps us to live our life as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. Father, we acknowledge, we, we acknowledge with all our heart and strength that if it were not for you, if it were not for your presence, for your spirit, for your word, we would be so tossed to and fro by the, 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 the waves that we encounter in this life that our lives would be completely battered. And many of us shipwrecked. And, and, and many of us sinking to the depth beyond depth, the bottom. But this Word, Father, has come to us and has helped us to lift our chins up in such a way that we see You, Your light, come beaming in through the ceiling, Father, and through the, the clouds in order for us to be saved. And not just, not just forgiven, Father, but, but, but redeemed out of slavery to, to sin and, and, and terrible, awful habits and addictions and, and lusts. And, and you have redeemed us into relationship with you. And you have redeemed us into the very essence of a new life. And for this, Father, we're grateful, but we also marvel. And not only do we marvel, but we at times are, are daunted in, in the transformation. In, in opening our hands, Father, in letting go of, of the things that we would cling to that, that, would keep us, that would keep us, Father, from being what You have, have predestined us to be in Christ. And so as we study, Father, we, we pray for eyes that see, ears that hear. And we ask for this blessing in Christ Jesus. Amen. Something that, that I say quite a bit, I want to I wanna say it again this morning. Very important. As a Christian, you are fully equipped for life. That's what the armor of God is all about. The whole idea of a Christian soldier is Paul's way of saying that life is a fight. That life is a fight, just like it is for everyone else. If you came into the Christian life thinking that you were headed towards tranquil waters and calm days, you were mistaken. The Christian life is a fight. That's why God gives you armor rather than pajamas. But the biggest difference between your old life and the new life that you have in Christ is that now, as you face that fight, you have divine resources. You have divine resources for the fight. That's why Paul says at the very beginning of this list, in verse 10 of chapter 6, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord first, and then secondly, 
be strong in His mighty power. You're strong in God and you're strong in His mighty power. As believers, as Christians, as disciples, we folks, we have to believe this. We have to believe this and we have to engage it in order to flourish as disciples. And as we begin to understand what each of the pieces of this armor is all about and what it means to us as disciples, and we begin to put it on, then there are things that begin to happen. But the overarching line, sort of the, the, the statement that we are fulfilling with this armor is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, we're living a life worthy of the calling that we have received in Christ Jesus. What it means to put on that armor, to be a disciple, number one, and to be a disciple that understands the importance of that armor, and we're putting it on, and there's a reason for it, is that we are living a life that is worthy of the gospel. Now, in a nutshell, what Paul is driving at is this. To put on the armor of God, to put that armor on, is to take all of God's Word and to apply it to all of your life. Let me say that again. When you put on the armor of God, it is taking all of God's Word and it's applying it to our lives. Now, you'll remember that the very first thing we talked about in this list was putting on that belt of truth, the girdle of truth, right? At the beginning of this list, belt of truth, and now at the end of it, Paul is talking about, he is talking about the truth of God's Word. He's talking about the Bible. This is, this is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And essentially what Paul is saying is that you take God's Word and you digest it. You analyze it and you pray it into your heart. It becomes who we are as a people. And we put it into our hearts and we put it into our minds and it's there like concrete and we take it wherever we go. And that biblical truth becomes like armor in facing any and every enemy that we might face in life. I mean, just for a minute, let's step out of Ephesians 6 and let's think about the life of Jesus and, and those wilderness temptations that we encounter in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1. Jesus is not facing temptations at the level of whether or not I should eat the Twinkie. It's not temptations. I mean, you know what it is. You know, it's Thanksgiving Day and there's like that one sliver of pecan pie. And with all of your being, you want that last sliver of pecan pie. But with your mind, you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fall into that temptation. That is not what he's facing here. He is facing temptations at the level that if he fails and if he falters within them, his whole life derails. And if his life derails, then his mission derails. And if that happens, then the whole history of the world, not just 30 some odd years that he lived, but your life and my life and every human being who has ever taken breath, that the history of the world has changed. And so as Jesus is facing Satan out there in the wilderness, and he's being tempted with world-class, gigantic, history-changing temptations. Jesus is not throwing rocks. He's throwing Scripture. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy at three times. I mean, the book of Deuteronomy. When's the last time you read Deuteronomy and you read it as a manual on, on spiritual discipline? You read the book of Deuteronomy as a way not to fall into temptations. That's a manual on how to live the spiritual life. I mean, when it comes to the Word of God, I mean, most of us, I mean, we think we're rock stars with the Bible because we know that Moses wrote Deuteronomy, therefore it's probably in the Old Testament. 
But Jesus reads Deuteronomy in a way that makes him strong with the temptations. Jesus' life is saturated with the Scripture, and that's why we have to have minds saturated with the Word of God to the point that the doctrines are lived. Our minds have to be saturated to the point that the doctrines, that the Word of God becomes alive inside of us, that this spoken Word that is two-dimensional on a page becomes three-dimensional as it becomes incarnate in our own lives. Now, the problem for most Christians, and I know this, as well as you, doctrine has a tremendous PR problem. I mean, it just has a tremendous PR problem. It sounds legalistic as doctrine. It sounds legalistic. It sounds irrelevant. It sounds, it sounds so controlling. And the truth of the matter is, is that if you swap the grace that you have received for legalism, then you are taking that doctrine and you're turning it into a ball and chain. You're taking the doctrines and turning them into a set of shackles. But if you believe, as we saw last week, or, uh, two weeks ago, that salvation has at least three different tenses, and you believe that, then you realize that there is this past tense in which you are saved by God's grace. It's not by your works. It's all by Him so that God gets the glory. And in so believing, you're saved in the past from the penalty of sin. And that in the future, one day, you're going to be saved from the very presence of sin, when we see Jesus face to face. But then in the present, right here, right now, today, in this place, each and every one of us, in the present, when we take up that Word of God, we take up the biblical truths, we take up the doctrine, it becomes a sword in our hands as we are being saved in this moment, right now, today, from the power of sin. Now that's why we have to understand what the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, what that's all about. And we could, you know, you, you know me, I can talk all day, I won't, but we're going to look just at three different angles of the sword of the Spirit. It is, number one, the thing that gives you confidence. The sword instills confidence. When you're getting ready, you know, in the old days, you would line up on a ridge someplace, and you look across a beautiful grassy meadow, meadow and there are guys on the other side. And they're screaming the war chant at you and you're screaming the war chant at them. And in battle, when you look down and you have that sword in your hand or it's at your waist, then you know that you're armed, that you're not going into the battle defenseless. Being armed for what's going to be up ahead of you brings you confidence. And what happens when you internalize the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, is that it instills confidence in living faithfully God's way as a disciple in the world right now in this moment. That you're not going into the world empty-handed. That you're not going into your own life, the one life that God has given you, defenseless. But when you don't have the Word of God, when you don't have the sword of the Spirit in your hand, you are not going to be able to stand up against the onslaught of temptations that you're going to face. You're going to have from time to time doubts about your salvation. You're not going to be sure about the decisions that you're making or the choices that you're making. Your faith is going to falter when there are trials. And guess what? When you're treated unjustly and you find yourself being hit over the head with some unfairness in this life, then peace is going to escape from your mind. That's why it boils down to this. You have to know and you have to live God's Word as entirely trustworthy. 
It's the base. It's the foundation. And I'm telling you, friends, there's a confidence that comes when you decide to commit God's Word to your heart and to your mind in order to base, to make it the foundation. It's what you stand on as you live out the entirety of your life in the entirety of its truth. And listen, this is not just Paul. It's not just Jesus saying, listen, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by what? Say it, church. But by the Word of God. Solomon says it in Proverbs chapter 2 this way. He says in verse 9, Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be what? Pleasant to your soul. Wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. That's why you have to decide. If you've never decided, you have to decide today. You have to decide once and for all that the Word of God is entirely trustworthy. And as entirely trustworthy, it's the foundation, it's the base. It's not just a matter of liking the parts that appeal to you or make sense to you or make sense to me. You have to decide to follow the doctrine, the Word of God. It's the sword in your hand that you are, that you are living life with confidence in because of the, the truth the, and, the, and, the, and the greatness of that truth, you have to de decide to follow that doctrine even when it offends modern senses. In areas like, hey, listen, sex outside of marriage is wrong because God says so. And therefore, because even though it may feel great and the Bible doesn't lie, Bible doesn't say that, that sin doesn't feel good or that it's not pleasurable. What the Bible says is that that pleasure only lasts for a little season. And what turns out, you know, at first was a kick, becomes a kickback. And all kinds of wrong things can happen in your life, into your soul, into your heart, into your mind, into your future. Or in areas like forgiving people who have wronged you, that that's the right thing to do. Even though every other, you know, Joe Schmo from Kokomo in town says, you know what, you've got to get revenge. You've got to hold a grudge. You never trust that guy ever again. You mark him and you never get close to him again. Or the, 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 the truth that says if you really want to be great, true human greatness comes in being a servant. You follow Scripture. And, and you model your life on Scripture, which leads to another point here. The sword not only instills confidence, but that sword, the Word of God, protects you. The Word of God protects you. Notice what the very next word out of Solomon's mouth is in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 11. Discretion will what? Discretion will what, church? It's up here on the screen. It's easy. Discretion will protect you. And understanding will what? Guard you. Protection guarding, protection, guard, guarding, protection. That's what God word, God's Word does. God's Word will protect you. And obeying God's Word sometimes is literally a matter of keeping yourself out of harm and out of trouble and out of heartache and out, out of danger. That's why when you decide that where God's Word says, S, says yes, you say yes. And where God's Word says no, that's where you say no. That's because Scripture lays out the foundations that you decide to live your life within those parameters, within those boundaries, within those doctrines. And guess what? You're guarded and you're protected. 
And if you take God's Word seriously, then there are some things that you no longer do. And if you take the Word of God seriously, then there are some things that beginning today you repent of. And there are some things that you limit yourself from doing. So that sort of the Spirit is there to give you confidence that you have a truth in which to base your life. It protects you by keeping you out of things that are going to tear and fragment your soul to pieces. But then the sword also leads to triumph. When you think of all of the promises of the Bible, it I think, when you read about the, 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 the scope, it's a, it's a sweeping truth about, about um, the, the, you know, the promises that are available to us as, as believers, I believe it gives you courage to reach out and to attempt things that you never thought were possible. When you understand as a disciple that you're putting on this armor and part of that armor is the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God and you begin to read the Word of God not just for the facts but for the meaning. And those promises begin to be lifted up onto the page. Then you begin not to be satisfied with the level you're living your life right now. Anger can finally, because of God, become gentleness and kindness. And where your life is out of control and where you never be able to, you, you seem like you're never able to say no or yes, then all of a sudden self-control begins to take hold of your life. You become more patient. Instead of dropping to the ground in a fetal position every time trouble or adversity comes at you, you have a certain kind of a poise, a certain kind of buoyancy in life. That's the kind of blessing that happens when you say that the Word of God in all of its entirety is trustworthy. And because it's trustworthy, I'm basing my life on all of it. But here's the thing about the sword of the Spirit. All of the pieces of the armor, the, the, the helmet of, uh, of salvation, the, the shield of faith, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the, uh, the, the, the belt of truth, all of the pieces of the armor that we have looked at thus far have been defensive. They're used to block a blow that's coming your way, to, to, to defend the darts that are coming at you, to ward off the evil that's coming your way. But the sword is a little bit different, isn't it? The sword is a different kind of a weapon. Not only is it defensive, but it is also an offensive weapon. It is the sword that can actually inflict effectual pain on the enemy. It's with the sword that you're not just defending yourself, but able to make some inroads into the line. This is the only piece of the armor that can do damage to the enemy. With all of the other pieces, you can keep from being defeated. But with the sword, you can be triumphant. With the sword, you can experience triumph. But what that means is you have to know the Word of God so well that you can use it on the spot. There's where confidence comes in. That's where the protection comes in. And that's where the triumph in the way that you live your life as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth comes in. Here's, here's an example from, from Acts, the end of Acts. Paul is, as you know, is, is trying to make his way back to Jerusalem. And, and as you read through Paul's life in, in First and Second Corinthians and, and Romans and, and uh, uh, you know, especially like places like Second Timothy... And through Acts, you know that, that, that life has not been very easy for Paul. In fact, it's been pretty rough. And there towards the end of Acts 21, there is a prophecy about him that says that this life is only going to get tougher. 
And so he gets to Jerusalem and he decides that he's going to go into the temple. But there are some of those troublemakers from Asia that are also in Jerusalem at the same time. And so what do troublemakers do? They make trouble, right? They make trouble for Paul by getting a riot going. And Paul gets arrested. Looks like the prophecy is coming true, right? Things are going downhill a little bit. And Paul gets taken before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin and Paul, they're not mates. You know, the Sanhedrin's not carrying pictures of Paul in their wallet. And this high priest of Annas, after listening to Paul talk for a little while, he's just had enough. And he orders all of those that are standing next to Paul to punch him in the mouth. Can you imagine that happening in a courtroom today? Punch him in the mouth. I'm tired of listening to him. And Paul, Paul's tired. Paul's not as young as he used to be. And he's been left for dead in a couple of places and stoned and robbed and cold and hungry and and rejected and despised and all of these things. I'm telling you, Paul's probably emotionally frayed at this point. And that high priest just kind of strike him on the mouth. And Paul's emotions are frayed and he fires back in verse uh, 3. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Finally, Paul's acting like a human being, right? But as soon as he says it, those standing next to Paul in verse 4 say, you dare to insult God's high priest? And Paul turns to the high priest and says, forgive me, for it is what? Written. And then he quotes Exodus 22 and verse 28. When's the last time? I and mean, we're, we're kind of picking on Deuteronomy here. When's the last time you read Exodus and said, you know what? This is a manual on how to deal with temptation. He quotes Exodus 22 and verse 28, and he says in Acts 23, verse 5, Brothers, I did not realize that he was a high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. So here's Paul. He's on the verge of losing it. He's angry and he's just sick of it. And his emotions are about to choke him. I mean, he is on the verge of losing it. I mean, what would you have done in the emotional state, you know? And, and somebody near the, the emotional state that Paul is in, and then those that are standing next to you begin to, to question what you're doing and what you're saying. How many of us would, you know, we're questioning, you dare insult the high priest? Hey, you want to get popped too? But Paul knew the Scripture so well that it routed his anger. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, helped him to triumph over his anger. You know, the best way to lose control in a situation like that is really to kind of try and control your anger, right? I mean, you get upset about something and you're saying to yourself, get control, get control, get control, don't lose it, don't lose it, don't lose it, don't lose it, don't lose it. And then the next person says to you, hey, you don't know who that is, do you? And you say sarcastically, oh, thank you for all the help. That's not what Paul did. Paul's was a mind and a heart and a soul that was saturated with the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word, church, of the Creator. The Word of the Father, the Shepherd, the One who provides. And He used that Word 
the sword of the Spirit in such a way that he routed the anger. He said, is it written? Listen, friends, I'm not suggesting that we use the Bible as some kind of a magic book. I don't think it's that at all. But I am saying, in strongest terms possible, that there is a power in the truth of God's Word. It's truth, whether we think it or not. It's truth. The difference is when we embrace it as such. And it not only teaches us about God and teaches about ourselves, but it teaches us how to live. And not only how to live, but to thrive and to flourish as a disciple and to, to fully realize what it means to be a human being. To, to live the way that Christ lived with that kind of impact on the world around us, in the neighborhood, starting with our own families, but having that kind of impact not only on our families, but on the entire world, our neighborhoods included. And not only that, it draws us close to Him. And so take a second. Do you know and live the Word of God as entirely true? And if the answer to that is yes, have you based your entire life on it? The way you write on Facebook? The kinds of things that, that you press your, 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 you pass before your eyes? How you deal with resources? The, 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 the way that you look at other human beings? The way that you even think about politics, whether your side wins or loses? It's all funneled and governed by the Word of God. Yes or no? The sword of the Spirit does one other thing. The Word of God is like a sword in Hebrews chapter 4 in such a way that it's able to open our hearts up and allow us to see really who we are. And sometimes what we see as a believer because of the Word of God, we are challenged to live differently. To live differently. And then there are times when, you know, we don't know if we're a Christian or not. We don't really know all that much about the Bible. Couldn't even tell you if there's an Old Testament or a New Testament. But what we do know is that we're reading something and it's telling us, communicating to us, communicating to our heart that things are not right. That can be changed this morning because the Word of God helps us draw near to God by telling us about a cross in which the Savior died. It tells us about the fact that we can't live without sin, and it's that sin that separates us from God. And only one who was willing, Christ Himself, coming as a man, taking on our sin, even though He lived a perfect life, He took on my guilt, He took on your guilt in such a way that He made that sacrifice, paid for that crime, paid for my guilt in order for me to have a relationship with God, to be baptized for my sins to be washed away, and for me to live my life differently as a disciple with this kind of armor, as I said at the very beginning of the sermon, fully equipped for life. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. If that describes you in any way, we have this opportunity right now.